Jim Halpert's silly pranks don't go over so well in a quiet place. It's a spoiler. Shh. That was way too loud. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, we were flirting before the podcast about maybe talking like they do in the movie for the whole podcast. What do you think? I was just going to hold my hand up in front of my face like Jim does <laughs> in the whole movie. Like, <laughs> like kind of Very smashing strangely. your nose. Too. Yeah. <laughs> he's like digging for gold up there. Where he's like, shh. <laughs> anyway, this is spoilers. This is Josh. I'm recording from Goshen, Indiana. Drew, you're in Denver tonight, right? How are you doing? This is Pappy, yeah, recording from Denver. I'm doing pretty good, man. I saw this last Friday, but it was a pretty memorable movie-going experience, so not too worried about forgetting anything about this film. Uh, do you like it? Uh, yeah, I saw it alone last night after the kids went to bed, uh, <laughs> traveled to m- neighboring city, Mishawaka, and you know what? It wow. it was a pretty full theater on a Monday night. I I got there a little late. I didn't miss any of the movie, but I missed like all the previews. But I got there late, so I only had like three seats to choose from. So got a seat not in the front row, so that was good. But one thing that was notable that I saw some articles today is that this movie shamed people that snack during the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah, I was looking at their Twitter and stuff. They had a bunch of like memes about donating popcorn and like emojis with like angry emojis like in a popcorn emoji or something like that next to each other uh we even tweeted about to enjoy my bunch of crunch and popcorn mixture in a quiet place and nestle corporation like replied to it saying that's just mean (laughs) well do you have i feel like all the critics there hasn't been much criticism for this movie it's been pretty positive do you have any main problems with it before we try to like get through the plot do you have anything you'd like to get off your chest about it well i liked it i was watching this movie and i got a couple things i guess that i I don't like about or problems quote unquote that i have with it the first one i was watching this movie and i was like man this is kind of reminding me of armageddon like the whole theme of passing on who's got to take care of the mom or the daughter you know what i mean jim halpert's a very Atticus Fitch like dad like perfect I'm like this kind of remind me of Armageddon and then the credits come up executive producer Michael Bay first credit <laughs> I was like oh that explains a lot but I I thought it was kind of interesting because usually that's a branded name in Hollywood and I wouldn't have known this as Michael Bay had I not stayed for the credits I think there's one part that made me realize that Jim was probably too perfect and that's when they have this cut to him in the basement and it's from the back and there's smoke rising up above his head and you're like oh this guy does have a vice he's down in the basement just like stress smoking but then like Mm -hmm. the camera pans around and he's like doing the most altruistic thing ever he's trying to like invent a way for his daughter to hear like tirelessly into the night Dude, he's got like unlimited skills he can like (laughs) solder hearing aids that also (laughs) defeat monsters (laughs) But at the same time, you're looking at his board and like he's got this whiteboard in his basement and it's got like the most simplistic writing on it. Like aliens, <laughs> bad. <laughs> like don't talk. <laughs> like such like weird, like trying to convey a very broad message to the audience. that Oh, he's doing some research down here. Yeah, they showed the board like 10 or 12 times 
and I had like it. It was an interesting board, but I had read through the entire board the first time they showed it. So every yeah. subsequent one, I was like, "Did they change anything? Any updates on the board? Nope, no updates." It must have been like designed for an international audience, and they just didn't want to like have to go back and change that in post or something. Because like yeah, they even have like a New York Times article up there. It's like they can hear you like, as the main headline of the New York <laughs> Times article. It's like, dude, that was not even realistic. But I mean. Yeah, I would say those are my only two real problems with the movie. Uh, but I was lucky because I had a good theater-going crowd. I was I went to like a seven o'clock show on a Friday, and there were a lot of like teenagers there and shit. And I was like kind of nervous before it started, but then everyone got real quiet once the movie got going. Sounds like quite a place. <laughs> I hate that stupid joke. <laughs> <laughs> I've been calling this movie quite a place, and like. St- Producer Stevie blew up on me today. <laughs> In the group thread, I was like, stop that. <laughs> well, how was your theater? Was your theater good? Like, Honestly, it was. Uh, it was my first time at Mishawaka, and I didn't know like how to relax a seat. And it was so dark, I couldn't <laughs> see. So I had to ask a friendly neighbor, and she was she told me. So, but but Those yeah, buttons are tricky. They're like hidden on the side. Yeah, I was like, man, I'm an idiot for like five minutes, and I was getting real nervous. Like the movie was gonna start, and I was gonna be stuck in this like awkward. Anyway, dude, when I, when me and Stevie saw Arrival, that was my first time with a reclining seat, and I was like trying to <laughs> kick fucking back yeah, with yeah. my head, like jerking real hard, <laughs> looking like a a total goober. He's like, dude but going back to my that sounds exactly like stevie but going back to my theater experience i had a box of nerds and i only ate like two bites of the nerds because the movie is so quiet every sound in the theater is just like weird and distracting we had an oddly quiet group i think both of us Mm -hmm. well it's not just like the movie, every aspect of the sound mix is quiet. Like the music comes in quiet. And I think it's all like diegetic music too. Like the only time they play Neil Young's Harvest Moon, I think, when they're like dancing and that comes in like a headphone. So like it always has like a source too. Yeah. That's probably in hindsight one of my favorite parts of the movie. And that song is, uh, I can be a man and admit it, it's a beautiful song. It's probably one of Neil Young's most like just pretty songs, I would say. And Come a little bit closer. <laughs> Hear what I have to say. <laughs> I wish everyone else could see you on Skype like I can right now. But uh, I think what this movie did brilliantly, and they had a, di- a few different ways of doing it, was showing how much the family appreciated when they were able to talk and talk at normal volumes and listen to music and hear things that we as humans on an everyday basis take for granted i thought they did that really well Mm -hmm. yeah the lack of sound just amplifies everything so much and i was looking at it at the imdb like full cast and crew and the um head sound engineer let me get his title right real quick the is he a mixer or an editor? <laughs> the supervising sound editor. Editor, okay. Uh, was Eric Adel, and he's he's been nominated for an Oscar a couple of times. But interestingly, he comes from Transformers too, so another Bay, another Bay guy on this project. So he's proven that he can do the pyro techno jism sounds yeah (laughs) straight out of diplo songs (laughs) he can take it down a little bit and give you a little uncle neil in your head in your ear (laughs) just to chill but 
I yeah, maybe we should just get into the story itself. What did you were you scared by? The uh, monsters. I would I have kids. Remember I saw this after I put my kids to bed last night and left oh, my geez. family at I home and think a, about that. Yeah, I left my wife in charge of the kids in a dark home alone at night to go watch a movie about a family that all they have is their lives and they're barely clinging on to it. So Made me feel like a bad dad, so that was kind of scary. You um, come home and your wife and daughter got shotguns cocked, ready to go, <laughs> ready for the sequel. <laughs> oh man, the, I was tense throughout this whole movie. I was real nervous. I I thought it was a bold move to kill the kid early and then to kill John Krasinski late too. Like there were real stakes in the movie the whole time, and yeah, I would say the in-universe rules were kind of frustrating. But the characters were also really compelling too. It's a really small cast. It is. We basically got four four people. Um because like you touched on, the first scene, and I think it's like eighty nine days into whatever this apocalypse is, it's super vague. Um basically the short of it is uh Jim and Pam's kid gets turns on a toy rocket and gets knocked off like really quick, like just sniped by one of these monsters. And do you think the? I see this a lot. This isn't the first movie to deal with kids and horror, but do you think that adds an extra level of scariness for anyone? Or is that just me as a dad at this point in my life? No, I think, I think it's a bold move always to kill a kid, but man, that kid was so stupid though. Like he was almost unsympathetically stupid. Like he steals the batteries, like, Jim like gives him the the hand in the face like be quiet and he still grabs the rocket or no the the daughter gives him the rocket but then he still puts the batteries in like he just doesn't listen he's not he's a liability for them honestly you know i there i saw an article today online that talked about this aspect of the movie and that it's like the most unforgiving world ever to live in and like this kid yeah he doesn't listen but every person on earth is at a point where they don't listen and this kid just gets one shot. Like he really is fascinated with this rocket, and it's kind of sad too because they tie it to his like hope to get off the planet because he's like lived. Like I don't know how is a child dealing with this super traumatic thing. I I thought they played that up pretty well with all the kids. Well, and then when the kid, or let's let's call him by his his name at least once, Noah Jupe, who played Marcus, the mm-hmm. the middle son, I kind of took it. Um, when he goes, there's one point where he kind of needs to make a sacrifice and like break off to go light some fireworks. But I think within the context of the movie, they called them rockets too, which I thought was like really good writing because it's like coming back to the rockets that were established in the beginning by the youngest son. Now this middle son's lighting a rocket. Like I don't expect that kind of cleverness from a Bay movie. I was pretty impressed. (laughs) We should consider this a john krasinski movie um we really should yeah i mean he directed it and he i guess rewrote the screenplay um mm-hmm. he's pretty much a centerpiece I, I don't think of this as a bay movie <laughs> at all no i mean but he's just kind of like because john krasinski's been in like bay movies before yeah so it's just kind of part of his his entourage but no he mm-hmm. he was definitely the creative force behind it and i thought the direction was really compelling i mean it's it's playing it pretty straight but like it's using a lot of classic you know teenage thrillers and and speaking of like the teenage thing i said there's a lot of teenagers in my show this was rated pg-13 yeah 
I was surprised by that. The, there is blood, but when you think about it, it's more. It really was more about the tension than. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's really only a couple mo- moments of solid violence. It's really just tension and Mikey. Even though he's not on the pod tonight for unknown reasons. No, he is on the pod. He's just being real quiet. <laughs> he's in character. <laughs> he's taking it real yeah. literally. He's signing his his input. <laughs> he, I was in the car with him, and we talked about the movie for a little while. And he's, he told me that it reminded him a lot of signs. And so I went of it thinking like that. And I thought that was really dead on in a lot of ways. And including... um kind of in this prologue where um, Cade Woodward's character Bo gets killed that we touched on a second ago. After that, it skips to like a year later, so it's like 460 days into this apocalypse. Um, The family is dealing with loss, and I think that's kind of the theme for the rest of the movie, how they're all dealing with that individually. Did you like that? I I thought it maybe was ham-fisted at times, but Perhaps a bit, and it it serves as a way to create tension within the family between the dad and the daughter, and then to have like a redemption at the end. Oh, we loved you the whole time. Like it's very much like a movie type relationship that they have, like this false sense of strain. But I think that, like, yeah, thematically, it touches on issues like loss, which are pretty interesting. But also, the more you think about this movie, I think some of the elements just fall apart though at times the logic within the universe is still pg-13 horror schlock even though it has these more complex relationships with it between the characters well you got any specifics there you want to point out well like hitchcock hitchcock called them icebox moments like because be like you'd go home that night and you'd be getting something from your fridge and be like oh you know what that didn't make sense but like i was watching this movie and they established that if you talk buy something that's louder you can mask it and they establish also that this family is really smart they set up like no sound traps like no speakers no like masking sound devices nothing along that line when i was describing the plot to my wife that was like a she couldn't even hold that question in before i got through with like two seconds so why didn't they create a soundproof room and i was like uh they kind of did towards the end but um but yeah, I'm saying you just have, like hook up a speaker and a microphone and like distract them <laughs> in case of emergency. Yeah, one of my icebox moments would be when I don't know, just thinking about how perfect the corn and farm was after like a year and a half. How yeah. did he pull off sowing a full field, like seed by seed, hand planted and perfect, right? Well, John Krasinski can do anything in this movie. He can invent <laughs> silent tractors. He just can't think ahead to have a sound trap. Um, but they did the rockets. The rockets, I guess. Yeah, but it's kind of like a one. Sh- it's so like a one shot. Like <laughs> <laughs> you've got nothing else after that. But it's also frustrating that the fact that like we were talking about the the strain on the family relationship and one of the main plot points of the movie is Emily Blunt aka pam is pregnant <laughs> yeah did with, that not but that seems so irresponsible like yeah again that was the second question Teresa asked why would they get pregnant and i was like i guess they wanted to have sex which makes sense but i think i think that made sense to me because it's that's humans fighting back 
Like they're not just going to yeah. give up and discontinue the human race. They're trying to do it, right? And another thing of hope that's in the movie, and tell me if I'm like interpreting this correctly, and I think this happens in this next scene that we're we're trying to talk about, but there's like some date where Jim climbs up to the top of a tower and lights something. And I think on the horizon you get the picture. Light the beacons. Yeah. Lord of the Rings style. There's like eight <laughs> to twelve like neighbors in the distance, right? There's other people out there. Gondor will honor the call. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd think that like an event like Emily Blunt being pregnant would be like all hands on deck or they would have more of a sense of a community. But we really only get the core four of the nuclear family plus the kid who dies. And then there's two extras who pop up at some point in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Where are we in the plot at this point? If we want to keep moving on like that. I mean, the first there's a prologue where um, Mm -hmm. Bo dies and then the film kind of proceeds there with, a few side adventures like uh the father takes the oldest son on a trip to the river and this is kind of where we get it teased out that since the river is already loud they can mask their voices underneath it and talk so mm-hmm. that's kind of a big moment and and in that moment too is the first sign that there might be a strained relationship because the father leaves um the deaf daughter home to quote take care of the mother which pretty much she took as I don't trust you to come with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which which I like too because it's playing on a couple different levels. You have like the you know surface level potential gender discrimination, but then you also have what's in the text of like him not forgiving his daughter. But there's also a really practical reason because Reagan, the character played by played very well by Millicent Simmons. Millicent Simmons, yeah. yeah, she is actually a a person with hearing disabilities. So I thought that was pretty cool too, that they cast a a real person. They did kind of a cool trick, cinematic trick with that ringing tone, especially during Mm -hmm. the beginning of the movie. I noticed that when they're showing things from her perspective and it almost became cliche where it was like, oh, like before something bad happens, they would always do that with her. But I thought, Mm -hmm. I, I don't think they overplayed it too much well that here yeah like you're saying it's the luckiest hearing aid of all time like it just happens to go off every time it needs to go off in the movie um save for like the first couple times when it's establishing that it can do that and it kind of is uh science had water as a solution to the problem and this movie has this hearing aid invention as kind of the tool to fight back, right? Well, and again, like, it doesn't seem that they've tried any avenues of fighting back, like using sound as a weapon. I feel like high-frequency sounds would be an early thing the government would try. Yeah. You got to suspend disbelief to get into the universe, but once you're in there, the characters are real, the relationships are real. Yeah, are we being too negative right now? We're almost 20 minutes in, and I feel like we're saying a lot of bad things. I really did enjoy this movie, and um, when I told someone earlier today that it reminded me a lot of signs... They took that as a bad thing, but I thought that was a really good compliment. And it's actually like signs with way better CGI. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think all of the performances are just through the roof great. Like, it's an interesting story. And we haven't talked much about Emily Blunt. Um, you mentioned she's you pregnant. Yeah. And... <laughs> she's pregnant. And it's not. She as... doesn't. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, the whole. The reason that I say, like, 
while I was watching it, not knowing Michael Bay produced it, I was thinking this kind of reminds me of a Michael Bay movie. Is like she's putting all the the emphasis on John Krasinski to take care of the family. You know what I mean? I, I think the movie does kind of redeem that in the last shot, but it was just an interesting. You don't see that theme like the man you got to take care of everybody keep everybody safe uh-huh i think when john krasinski and his son are coming back from the aforementioned like hike and hunting trip uh they see that the lights there's like emergency lights and they're on because the, emily blunt is like trapped in the house with one so she flipped them on so everyone knows stuff's going down and this is kind of a turning point for me in the movie um I thought the tension dropped a little bit when the monsters were, you knew they were close and roaming around and it was more like fun. Yeah. And like, that's, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Cause like they still earn the moment with John Krasinski at the end, sacrificing himself. Like I wasn't laughing at all during that part, but, but I definitely thought they started showing the monsters more and more. And it, that was a pretty cool ride, and you actually learned a little bit. How would you describe what we learn about these monsters in this like middle act where they start showing up more and more? Well, I mean, like other than like their weakness to high pitched frequencies, um, they they really can't see. They don't seem to have any kind of other senses at all, like smell or anything. But they do have kind of like how the alien has that little thing that comes out of its mouth, their ears can kind of extend to more of a funnel to like hyper detect sound. So it seems like that's kind of like their way of distinguishing between, you know, everyday noise and potential prey. And do you think they just, is it an alien species that landed here that just hates sound? Is that kind of what you gathered? Uh, I heard someone before I watched this movie refer to them as demons. I didn't see any evidence of that. They seemed more like creatures. Well, that's okay. So that's why I think John Krasinski probably came in and did a great job writing. Cause I'm guessing these guys, Brian Woods and Scott Beck probably had like a more fleshed out universe, but this movie is tight. It is 90 minutes. You don't mess around with like any backstory of the aliens like we said i mean like maybe some of the uh production design is simplistic and trying to convey like shit went down but it doesn't worry about like you know where they came from why they came from and then it trusts the audience just to kind of pick up with stuff on the way there's very little i mean it's very little spoken words but there's like very little spoken exposition which is awesome yeah and when they speak in whisper and then they finally talk in regular voice it's like a really nice payoff you're like oh i wish they would just talk like this all the time i will say though the, the howling and the waterfall was a little bit leonardo dicaprio i'm the king of the world for my taste a little bit like cheesy <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i i really think it would feel pretty orgasmic to be able to just shout after having to repress that for so long but i will not say orgasmic on this pod again for a really long time let's continue um, we can bleep that out. Uh, <laughs> well, what? Okay, so what did you think? I have heard people say that th- that you either love the very, very ending last shot or you hate it. So uh, we we mentioned John Krasinski sacrifices himself. The family gets together. They figure out they can fight back against these things. And then the movie really ends on a cliffhanger with Emily Blunt and Millicent Simmons 
I mean, it's it's like kind of like a buddy cop movie poster almost, isn't it? Aren't they like literally back to back with shotguns or something? Let's do this. Um, so let's play out how that first alien died. Okay. She, it's the same alien that just killed Jim, and now he's coming for Pam and the kids in the basement. And he's like really close to him, and she has a shotgun loaded. And the whole movie, you're just wishing and hoping that a shotgun gets unloaded on one of these guys. But I feel like they show the animal or whatever the alien it is a little bit more close up, and it does have like metallic looking skin. So that mm-hmm. plus some of the newspaper clippings and maybe Jim's like whiteboard that we discussed earlier. Um, <laughs> There's like one that says armor, three question marks <laughs> underlined. <laughs> you realize, okay, the shotgun's not going to do anything. And for the third time in the movie, her, uh, the Millicent's character, her hearing aid like goes off and she gets this idea to put it in a like localized microphone stereo system. And the thing just like has a seizure and almost like its head turns inside out. Yeah, or something. It the ear hole kind of becomes a target, I guess. I don't really know. Yes, it's kind of like uh, exposing the weakness in a video game. So mm, yeah, <laughs> it's like a, it's big and like flashing, like shoot here while the boss is down. But it was really the sound itself that just set this thing off and made it vulnerable and. Uh, Pam took the opening and shot it in the face and it fell down and died. The huge shotgun blast sends the other two creatures that we know are in the area just like flying towards the scene. And did you, I thought that was a really cool shot when they showed them on several screens like approaching the house. Oh, yeah. Again, it reminded me of Aliens where they open that vent and see all of them climbing <laughs> up, the, scurrying up the thing. Yeah. It was kind of like that. They're all scurrying towards the house. Yeah, and so at that point... Millicent like gives her mom the nod and gets ready to turn on her like hearing aid but before she does that she like turns on three more amplifiers and turns this like huge knob up to like 11 spinal tap reference yeah and it's like she's ready (laughs) and then (laughs) Emily Blunt goes what did she say let's do this bring him on like she says something that's super like what is the last line I'm not sure I think yeah, I think it's something like let's do this, but it's I I, I saw like an, a tweet from a pretty reputable source saying that like before I'd even seen the movie on Friday that they're already developing the sequel, which I mean not surprisingly this movie made fifty million dollars, but when when you set it up that blatantly, there's got to be a certain percentage of the audience that's pissed that it's just like that wasn't a real ending, that was just a sequel set up. Ah, uh, I. I didn't take it like that at all, actually. And I thought that, like you said, the writing, maybe originally, maybe they were supposed to have this end epic fight scene. But I think that just leaves it open to becoming like cheesy over the top. And they kept this movie tight and true kind of the whole way through. So I, I thought it fit. It, it really fit. And like, I fully assume they're going to like kick those animals' asses too, because. As soon as they come in there, they're going to flip on that sound and they have like no chance after that. So the big, you know uh, I was going to say, it kind of reminded me of Troll Hunter, uh, where it ends right before the most exciting thing could possibly, you know what I mean? Like it kind of ends on that cliffhanger, but like 
the budget for this was only 17 million and it's already made 71 million. So not showing that final battle was probably a pretty smart financial decision for them. Yeah, cuz it would have been like probably twice that budget if they wanted to show like two more monsters and and like I was saying anyway, I think the bigger question in the real cliffhanger is like how will society and the world like reconvene and like rebuild itself and further like is there more lore about these animals we could learn i don't think mm-hmm. i don't think anybody's really worried about pam and the kids at this point do you no I, the smartest thing they could do if they wanted to do a sequel would be doing an in-universe but tell a different story a different part Speaking of, the of that States. yeah this movie while it was in development for the longest time was assumed to be part of the Cloverfield uh, I heard that. Yeah. yeah. The writers didn't <laughs> didn't want that and they kind of said it in the nicest way possible like, "Oh, we love Cloverfield, but we didn't want to just be part of another IP." Is basically what they said. No, my 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 barber told me that of all people, and I and I was thinking about <laughs> it, and I was like, "I guarantee you that part of being in the Cloverfield universe now, especially after seeing Cloverfield Paradox, is you have to somehow shoehorn in these other references. You know what I mean? Like, like seeing a Marvel movie, you got to see things that reference the other films. Like, and that just would have taken away from the story completely. I think we just got through the whole movie. We skipped Pretty over. It, yeah. we, there's one scene you touched on it with the extras. And you also touched on it when you're talking about Tim like shoving his finger into his face. Like, what do you, what do you think happened there with that old man and woman? Did I, so I just did a replay of Red Dead, and there's some NPCs where you stumble across a woman who's dead, and the man shoots himself in the face, and it reminded me just like that because you see an old woman who's dead, and the man commits suicide by yelping. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's all I could think about was the Red Dead. Tie in because they even look like those characters. It was definitely a rebel yell. <laughs> <laughs> not, I shook my head. Not gonna, not gonna bait you into that one. <laughs> no, I'm only singing Neil Young tonight. <laughs> not, I don't know. So you wanna, wanna give our yes nos our verdict? Yeah, unless there's another scene that we glossed over that you wanna. It's not much to it. It's a simple, simple story. Yeah. Um. I'll, I'll go, go. I'll. I'll, I'll go, go first. You go first. Yeah. Um, this movie, I, I don't like horror movies generally, but I felt a strong urge to see this in theaters. I don't see a ton of movies in theaters, especially compared to Pap and Money Mike. But um, I'm, I'm really glad I did see this one. It reminds me a lot of Signs. I love seeing the Signs in the theater. Um, I'm giving this like a, uh, like an A just for like overall originality. I love using sound to the degree that they did. I thought that was really smart and the movie's fun and definitely gets you in a certain emotional state that stays with you for a little while after watching it even. So definitely that's kind of like why you go to the movies, I think. And I think that's why this movie has been so successful. So big yes for me, Pat. Yeah, it's, it's a yes for me too, for sure. Um, it is kind of derivative from other properties. Like, I mean, there's been other monsters who can hear stuff like don't breathe or even like in the descent. That's how the monster or the people monsters can hear you. I think Um, there's a movie out like this year called The Silence or something like that. So probably like the same thing. Yeah. And like aesthetically, 
there's a lot of I would say there's influence from The Last of Us, influence from I am I am Legend, um, it's like some video game influences even maybe, but yeah, Red Dead. <laughs> yeah, but I will say that being in a basically a sold out theater on Friday night and how loud the theater was before the movie started and then being in a completely silent theater like that and silent for the majority of the time over the course of 90 minutes was completely surreal. I've never experienced anything like it. So it's a hard yes for me for that experience. And I've got it like my second favorite movie I've seen so far this year. I think it's one of the best, one of the best of the year. Do you think it's this year's get out? uh, People keep saying that I feel like that's a cliche just because they're both horror movies or something. It's a critically acclaimed horror movie that had a low budget that was very financially successful and, and it's not going to get nominated for best picture. It might get some below the line stuff for the sound design or, you know, sound mixing probably most likely. That'd be awesome though. That's a good call. And I was actually listening to Mark Maron's WTF pod today, uh, the Jason Alexander episode. And they were talking about like, uh, being a TV character for a long time that's beloved, it's really hard to be anything else in your career. And Jason Alexander struggled with that. Do you think Jim, John, Lee, whatever you want to call him, do you think he's going to be able to truly buck Jim? And is it a bad thing if he can't? Like, what's what do you think about that? Was that distracting to you during the movie? Not at all. I mean, like, it's kind of, it's kind of funny because he has this giant beard, which is clearly kind of, be the differential between him and the character you put on the office. But I think like get out, it's interesting that you have this former comedic actor now going behind the camera to direct. That's another sort of connection. I I forgot, but his direction along with the power couple that he has with his wife, Emily Blunt is really interesting. Like there's a lot of talent, in that family and now that he has some successes this isn't the first movie he's directed i haven't seen anything he directed before but it wasn't very good but now that he has a success (laughs) and he has his wife uh by his side they could make some big movies yeah continuing what jim and pam started really if you think about it exactly basically scranton and i I think we'd be amiss if we didn't mention one last thing what happens if you fart in this reality? <laughs> Dude, everyone wants to know. What? That It went so hot on Twitter, that link that Mikey sent to the group. Yeah, I mean, if a fart kills you, there's no way the baby they had is going to make it to two or three years old without whelping at some point. It's got no chance. Zero percent chance. <sighs> well, on that note, I think we can call it. Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is podcastspoilers. It's lit. Josh Hensley from the Rutabaga wrote our theme. That was spoilers. Hear what I have to say. Sometimes I like ending like that. Yeah, the kid's definitely gonna die. See ya. <laughs> the orgasmic.